The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. For some reason, Twitter seemed to need an awful lot of spies. The upper ranks of Twitter, we now know, were absolutely loaded with people who once did intel work for government agencies. At least 15 of these people, and possibly many more. Most of them were hired in the wake of Donald Trump's election. Now, what were these people doing all day at what was supposedly a social media company? Well, that's the question, isn't it? We know that James Baker, who came from the FBI, has been accused of secretly censoring incriminating internal files before Elon Musk could release them to the public. Baker was fired for that. So that's some of what James Baker was doing at Twitter. But how about Charles Smith of Twitter's Trust and Safety Department? Smith joined Twitter after working at U.S. Cyber Command. Hmm. Or how about Jeff Tokodger, formerly a director of Naval Counterintelligence? What was he doing? Or Kevin Michalina or Doug Hunt or... Mark Jaruzewski, or Douglas Turner, Karen Walsh, Russell Handor, Vincent Lucera. All of these people once worked for the FBI as well. Their colleague Jeff Carlton came from the CIA. Patrick Conlon once worked at the NSA, and so on. Wow. The, I think it was Sundance who said that uh, that was the best five minutes on TV regarding the Twitter files revelations. All of these intel officers, all of these intel agents, at the FBI, working right there in Twitter. And of course, it now has new ownership. It's only had a new owner for a few weeks. It's pretty amazing what we know already, but as Tucker said last night, it's, it's only the tip of the iceberg, what we've, uh, what we've seen exposed thus far. You're listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining our growing audience. You can get to the live video stream of this show at our website, thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live. And you can watch it every day at 11 a.m. in the central time zone of the United States. The email address, td at thetrumpet.com. So I, I think it was actually only four minutes of, uh, of a monologue last night. But he said, as Tucker pointed out there, there were all these federal agents or former FBI agents working in Twitter and, and doing what? And, it, and, he, and he went on to say, I'll play it for you here in a second, that there were people from the intel community in other nations also that were working at Twitter. This is clip two. And it wasn't just American intel officers who found a home at Twitter. The company hired foreign spies too. In January, Peter Zatko was fired from his position as Twitter's head of security. Reportedly, Zatko lost his job because he complained about the level of control that foreign intelligence agencies had over virtually all of Twitter's operations. According to Zatko, there were operatives on Twitter's payroll from other governments, including China and India, and they had access to private user data. And those are just the details that we know about. What about what we don't know about? Here's Tucker connecting the dots. He's exposing quite a lot there. And then he's, uh, he's drawing some conclusions from all of this. This is clip three. Could it be that while the rest of us imagined that Twitter was a social media site, a place to vent about politics and sports and the Kardashians, could it be that Twitter was actually, maybe primarily, a propaganda tool and intelligence gathering apparatus for a variety of intel agencies? Well, yes, that's possible. 
And you can see why various governments would want access to the information that Twitter had. Keep in mind that Twitter's direct message DM feature functioned for many years as a kind of private text app for some of the world's most prominent people. So if you wanted to know what high government officials really thought, or if you want to know what well-informed sources were telling reporters off the record, you would want to see those messages. Did Twitter executives ever share those DMs, those private messages, with anyone outside the company without a warrant? We strongly suspect that they did. That's, that's a pretty serious uh, accusation there. And then, too, just the amount of information, the amount of communication that Twitter was sitting on, and we've only seen just a, just a very little of it so far in these, uh, what have there been, five Five uh, batches of the Twitter files. This is from uh, Fox News. It says CBS News, ABC, NBC did not cover the story while CNN only mentioned it once. What story is that? The Twitter files. So they're all ignoring it. We're talking about it. Well, we've talked about it all week, haven't we? And all of these big networks are completely blacking it out, just like they did Hunter's laptop. And the MSNBC, they only talk about it long enough so that they can compare Elon Musk to Vladimir Putin. But aside from that, it's been a near total blackout. Why? Why would the media be covering this up? We're, we're actually peering into the internal communications of the Twitter police, people that were deciding what certain voices could say and could not say, blotting out uh, entire accounts in the case of President Trump. It says liberal media networks, NBC, CBS, ABC, CNN, largely ignored the Twitter, Twitter files on the air with only MSNBC offering substantial coverage of the company's internal documents in the past several days. It says while the files have dominated discussion on Twitter, a site known to facilitate discussions among members of the press, on-air coverage of the internal documents has been almost non-existent. It says here, since Friday, networks have only discussed the Twitter files for a combined total of 14 minutes. 14 minutes! It says the term Twitter files has only been used six times on air over the same span of time. So you know, you know that Elon Musk is over the target when this sort of thing is happening. When they're, when they're actively working together, it's a coordinated effort, when they're actively working together to cover it up, then you know it's serious. You know it's a big story. You know there's a reason why they're covering it up. Again, maybe not all the evidence is quite there to connect all of the dots, but Tucker's doing a pretty good job of exposing this state-sponsored censorship effort. It's illegal. It's illegal. It violates the First Amendment. As we've been discussing this week, there's this story. I don't know if it's necessarily connected to what Twitter has been revealing, but it was a pretty big story, and as Julie Kelly says at American Greatness, stories like this, generally speaking, the timing of them, they're, they're, they're timed just so because maybe they're wanting to get out in front of other revelations that are about to happen. But it's talking about this low-level DHS uh, agent who, uh, well, I'll just read the beginning. On December 20, 
2020. So this goes back to just after the stolen election, but before the Fed surrection on January 6th. It says here, uh, an Intel analyst tried to prevent the January 6th attack, but DHS failed to act. So there was a low-level DHS agent, 21 years old, who alerted, I guess he was in some chat room or whatever, and said that there was going to be an attack on the Capitol. He tried to tell the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, and uh, they did nothing about it. That's the gist of this, this piece. It says on December 20, a 21-year-old intelligence analyst went online to search for local Washington, D.C. fishing holes and stumbled upon the blueprint of a plot to storm the Capitol and execute members of Congress. Execute members of Congress. I mean, some of this is, is laughable, but still, still, we'll just play along. You know, the DHS, the FBI, they're all there to help America, right? They're all there to protect ordinary American citizens, certainly to protect the Capitol. So here they got a tip from someone in their own agency. It says here, the domestic terrorism analyst with the Department of Homeland Security saw a link to a website where people actively at that moment were discussing the commission of acts of terroristic violence and the violent overthrow of the government of the United States. It says here, there the analyst witnessed upwards of 500 pages worth of potential threats to national security, including people urging others and discussing how to smuggle illegal weapons into the nation's capital and to avoid detection by law enforcement. So he probably got onto some QAnon website, whatever that is, and discovered these chats, told the DHS, and then they didn't follow through on anything. It says, like so many Americans, this is the journalist speaking now, like so many Americans, I watched the events of January 6, 2021 transpire. Shocked, scared, horrified. I think this journalist says that now there's nine people that died as a result of that protest. Nine people! <laughs> it's unbelievable. Talk about fake news and misinformation. In any event, it says Yahoo News obtained a copy of this letter and unredacted and the unredacted version of the final Inspector General investigative report documenting this analyst's efforts and dozens of credible threats that DHS saw but did not act on at the time. So the Inspector General's got something going on on how everything was handled in and around January 6th. Republicans, remember, are just about to get control of the House. So they're going to be privy to a lot of information that, to this point, has pretty much been kept from them as Liz Cheney and company run the show. And that's about what it is. Here's a low-level staffer sounding the alarm and then Yahoo News wondering why nobody did anything. Because it's so serious, right? I mean, this is the worst attack, uh, worse than the Civil War. Certainly worse than Pearl Harbor and 9-11. That's what we've been told. Listen to this. this. It's a bit of a Twitter storm from Julie Kelly. She's commenting on this Yahoo piece, and she says, that crazy story about the 21-year-old analyst who just happened to stumble across the domestic terror plot of January 6th, he worked for DHS Office of Intelligence and Analysis, responsible for sharing threat info with government agencies. His boss at the time was Joe Mayer, a career bureaucrat, at DHS. So the boss, I guess we don't know the name of the 21-year-old, but the boss's name is Joe Mayer, M-A-H-E-R. And Julie Kelly says, guess where Mayer ended up? 
as an investigator for the January 6th select committee. She says, you can't make this up. The one who got the tip and did nothing with it is now one of the investigators looking into January 6th. Kelly says, so the guy who failed to heed two weeks of warnings from his own analysts and didn't produce a single threat bulletin before January 6th has been investigating January 6th. That's right. You cannot make this up. How many of those chat rooms, by the way, maybe this is the reason they dismissed the warning. Evidently, at least the 21-year-old wasn't in on the plan. The fact that you had DHS, FBI agents, they were all in those chat rooms trying to incite the violence. They wanted the Fed surrection. They had to have this to take down Donald Trump. They had to have this to obscure the fact that the election was stolen. They had to have this to cover their tracks. Julie Kelly says, Mayor was, Mayor was hired at the recommendation of Wyoming Rep Liz Cheney. I mean, this is perfect, isn't it? It's just perfect. Hired by Liz Cheney, you know, the supervisor, over this 21-year-old DHS agent that said, uh, hey, I think they're planning to do something violent on January 6th. Liz Cheney hires the guy that says here, so instead of testifying during a primetime performance of the committee, uh, Mayor serves on the committee. You see, he should be testifying as if it's so serious, if it nearly toppled the government of the United States, he should be testifying to the fact that I dismissed the warning for this and this and this reason. Instead, he's on the other side. He's, he's the one that's investigating it, just so that we can, you know, get to the truth. She says something stinks here. And there's another weird aspect of January 6th tied to DHS. This goes back from a revelation from a few months ago. She says the gal who just happened to be uh, taking a walk to do her laundry and saw one of the pipe bombs. Yeah, she worked for an agency with oversight by the DHS. So the pipe bombs, I mean, that's the story that has since fallen by the wayside. But the, the person that discovered that also in the DHS, and the DHS apparently, again, doing nothing, doing nothing, or are they doing a lot and trying to cover tracks along the way, just like the FBI, just to bring this back around to the amount of information that Elon Musk is sitting on at Twitter now that he's the new owner. Listen uh, again to Tucker from last night, clip four. Elon Musk now has control of the most significant trove of secret information ever to reside in private hands. So far, we have not seen much of it, and you have to wonder why we haven't. Let's hope that we do. We haven't seen that much of it. <laughs> you look at all those batches that have been released. I mean, there's, uh, there's damning evidence there already showing that the DHS, the FBI, having these weekly meetings with Twitter officials in the lead up to the election and after to censor information, to censor the truth, to cover up scandals in the case of the Biden crime family, to cover up the scandal surrounding the 2020 election. As I say, we're just seeing the very, very tiny, tiny tip of the iceberg. There, there are quite a lot of rumblings going on right now. I mean, in one sense, when Sam and I are getting up each morning looking for eclipse, and they're, I think some people are already checking out because of the uh, oncoming uh, holiday season. 
Yet at the same time, there's some uh, pretty interesting cases at the Supreme Court. There's obviously this case with Carrie Lake in uh, Arizona. There's the, the lifting of, uh, I think it's Title 42. You've got all of these immigrants amassing at the, the, board, the northern border of Mexico, just waiting. I think it expires on December 21st. And then tens of thousands of illegal immigrants are just going to pour across the border. America's being invaded. I mean, even Joe Scarborough's shocked that no one's doing anything about this. There's an explosion coming. Then you have the Republicans taking over the House. Everything changes on January 3rd. There's a story here from the Washington Examiner. The war, the coming war over Hunter Biden. And really, that's not even accurate because James Comer keeps saying that uh, it's, not, it's not even about Hunter. This is about Joe Biden. This is about a president of the United States who we believe is compromised. He's a sellout to the Communist Chinese Party. He's a sellout. And so everything changes on January 3rd. It should be a pretty interesting, even though, even though things slow down, around the Christmas and New Year's holiday. There's quite a few interesting things happening at the moment, and we'll have probably more uh, current shows or live shows or timely shows than just about anyone else through this time. I mean, we'll have uh, our montages, and I'll probably have a few subs here and there uh, with the school break in session and so on. But still, as you know, if you followed this show for very long, we'll keep broadcasting right through the end of December, early January. There's going to be a lot to discuss. And, of course, we always have the end-of-the-year montage, the mega montage, the biggest montage we ever produce through the year. Don't forget about that. That's coming up in just a, a couple weeks as well. I spoke of this uh, lawsuit that Carrie Lake filed. I think it was last Friday. I've had some notes on it. Uh, the last two programs, I haven't really been able to get uh, much into it. But it, there's some interesting developments here. The judge seems like he's, he's keen on uh, hearing this out, and he's got it on uh, you know, an expedited time frame. Like I say, a lot of things are coming down. This is from uh, Just the News. More than 25,000 ballots were added to Maricopa County's uh, vote total following the election day. Arizona 2022 GOP gubernatorial nominee Carrie Lake alleges in her uh, lawsuit. This is one of the, the, perhaps one of the best claims that she has in that lawsuit that she filed, that all of these ballots were, were added after the fact or, or just improperly counted or the signatures didn't, uh, didn't get verified or there's no chain of custody. You had uh, truckloads of ballots going off to a third party. We'll talk more about that in a second. It says Lake filed her lawsuit against Hobbs, Maricopa County Recorder Stephen Richer, and Maricopa County Board of Supervisors and Maricopa County Director of Elections Scott Jarrett on Friday. I guess the, uh, the margin for her defeat is something like 17,000 uh, votes or ballots. It says in her legal filing, Lake alleges that witness testimony and other evidence show hundreds of thousands of illegal ballots infected the election in Maricopa County and that thousands of Republican voters were disenfranchised. 
as a result of all those malfunctions, you know, with the tabulators and such. It says further on, the complaint further alleges a chain of custody failure or failures, including more than 25,000 additional ballots being found, quote unquote, by Maricopa County two days after the election. I mean, how are you going to have faith in any election, in any swing state, anywhere in the United States, if you've got tens of thousands of ballots showing up or being found two days after election day? Found? That means they were lost. How did they get lost? And if they were lost, then what about the chain of custody? I mean, if these laws are not going to be upheld, if they're not going to abide by these laws, if they're not going to be held to account, well, no wonder these Democrat machines being funded by all this dark money, no wonder they're just going to keep producing ballots out of thin air. And no wonder they're going to tuck their candidates in the basement. You don't even need a candidate. You just need a name. You can get a name. You can get someone with brain damage. That's fine. I mean, these are crazy times that we're living in. An explosion is coming. You can feel it. You can feel it. it says here the, the complaint. Well, anyway, the third party, this, uh, this outfit, I forget the name of it. It's in this other. Run, run back. I think we showed the footage of the truck. It was uh, Ben Burkwam who was following the truck to this third party where they were supposedly verifying all the, the signatures. And so Carrie Lake's pointing all of this out. I mean, if you get a judge with a sound mind, of course he's going to say, how could this be seen as anything but unfair? This is from Reuters, a video showing a, a truck departing from the Maricopa County Elections Department in Arizona to a third-party facility triggered social media claims of fraud, citing an allegedly inadequate chain of custody process. The video captures a standard procedure. Uh, However, Reuters is just there to reassure, reassure us that if there's a third party involved, hey, it's always above board. I mean, there's always checks and balances. Of course, of course, this is perfect because Carrie Lake lost. It's perfect for them. It's perfect for their ideology. It's perfect for the narratives that they want to push. It says here, the video captures a standard procedure, however, involving the transport of sealed ballot envelopes to run back election services, a company that assists the county by scanning them to create a digital image of the signature in the packet. Now, as Carrie Lake points out in her brief, uh, pr practically every single ballot went right through no problem, which statistically, historically, speaking of anomalies, it just never happened. Now, all of a sudden, it's perfect. Everything goes through. They're all valid, et cetera, et cetera. Listen to, uh, this is Steve Bannon, I think, from his program uh, yesterday, clip eight. But when you say outsource, they also outsourced, it's by artificial intelligence. It's supposed to be by humans to actually sit there and verify the signatures, correct? You just that's can't exactly outsource right. it. And that, this is key. You just can't outsource it to a company that's going to use a, a algorithm or some sort of computer artificial intelligence program what is set up in Arizona in, in the process and procedures in the manual and by statute has to be done internally and has to be done by humans. That's exactly right. Not only is there no provision in Arizona law to allow for artificial intelligence to check the signature verification, but it's never been done before. I mean, we know it was done in 2020, but it was never done in a way that was proven accurate. And oh, by the way, when you actually have people that look at the signatures, they don't match. 
That's uh, Christina Bob, by the way, on with Steve Bannon. She's, uh, I think she's either a former or a current attorney that has helped Donald Trump. But she's going through the, the specs on this. Not, none of the, the mail-in ballots were, uh, were rejected for the most part. Carrie Lake lays this out in her, her filing from last Friday. Listen again to Christina Bob on the, uh, the steal in Arizona, clip seven. They're, they're counting ballots that should not be counted because there's a standard. If you're going to have absentee voting, you have to verify signatures with the signature that's on record from the Department of Motor Vehicles or however they registered to vote. And they lowered the standard so much, I believe it's close to zero, if not zero itself, so that any ballot with any signature gets counted. And so there's no way to verify that these are actually lawful voters. That's 125,000 ballots. You can't account for where these ballots are coming from. And the, the ballots that were cast that got jammed had to be recast, and some were counted multiple times, and some weren't counted at all. And they don't know which is which, and so they couldn't rerun the numbers. And the witnesses are saying that that happened to about 25,000 ballots. Uh, the Maricopa County recorder acknowledged in a public statement shortly after Election Day, hey, we know everybody was upset about the machines going down on Election Day, but don't worry, it didn't affect that many votes. It only affected about 17,000 votes, which happens to be the margin of victory for the gubernatorial race. So if Republicans aren't going to enforce the laws that we have authority to enforce, why should Democrats care about following them? And that seems to be a pattern that we're seeing around the country. We saw the same thing in Wisconsin and Racine, where they completely obliterated, you know, rules for nursing home voting. And the Republican district attorney in, in Racine was like, oh, well, you know, and refused to prosecute. So I think it comes down to we aren't doing what we need to do to prosecute and hold these people accountable. So they're just cheating. They're just flat out cheating. Because no one will enforce the laws. So again, it all depends on a judge, potentially a jury, Maybe the Supreme Court. I don't know quite how the process works. I guess it's going through the state courts, and there's a supreme, a, a state Supreme Court in Arizona, I'm sure. But they they keep getting away with the cheating because no one's even in, even Republicans, as she brings out there, Rhino Republicans. They're just so quick, as you've heard me say over and again this week. They're just so quick to surrender, to surrender to the mob, to surrender to the communists. You couple all of this with the, all the dark money. I mean, SBF, this guy was contributing to all these Democrats all across the country. He's just about to testify. The day before he testifies, that's when the feds say, uh, all right, enough. Make sure, in, working with the Bahamian authorities, of course, let's make sure that he's arrested. We don't want him to testify. I mean, the timing of all these things with the DHS, the FBI, the DOJ, they're covering their tracks. The, the Twitter files is just the tip of the iceberg. They're all in on it. My father talks in the America Under Attack, by the way, about the depths of Satan. That's Revelation 2, I think, verse 26. The depths of Satan. I mean, he, he makes it just confusing enough to where people just throw their hands up and say, you know what, I, okay, it was a perfect election. No, there was no cheating. I mean, you, you mean we're going to have to get into 25,000 ballots and actually have a human being? Analyze? We had a machine do it. And we've been using machines now for, what, two seconds? Yeah. Just believe the machines. 
Just everything that's changed because of COVID, let's just keep it this way forever. Just, send, just randomly send out tens of millions of ballots, even unrequested. Just mail them out. There were so many ballots floating around in 2020. And you mean people wouldn't take advantage of that opportunity to cheat? Whether with mules or mail-ins or the nursing homes or whatever it was. We're, we're talking about cheating on a mass scale. And it's happening every election, every election cycle. And until that's dealt with, it does, Mitch McConnell can talk about quality of candidates all that he wants. They're not going to win. How could they in an environment like this? This dark money, by the way, this is the New York Times from just a couple days ago. As, as they explained after the 2020 election steal, they, they, they brag about it after the fact. They can't help themselves. It says here, two organizations quietly spent $32 million in last month's midterm elections on organizing meant to combat election denialism and to promote voting access. We've got to go after the election denialists and then make it easy for everyone to vote. Voting access, even if you're dead or you've moved out of state, we've got to make it easy for them. So here comes this dark money, and they're quietly operating, just like Zuckerbucks in 2020, just like SBF. We know about the 40 million or so. What about the dark money? What about the money that was undetected? $5 billion disappeared. So do you think Maxine Waters got any of that? Or the Pelosi family? Or the Schumers or the Romneys? Or you go right down the list. If they're on the take from China, so many of them, they wouldn't take it from this, this crackpot in, uh, in the Bahamas, stealing money from all these investors, destroying lives. And then we're waiting around for weeks. Are, are, are the authorities going to do anything? This man has robbed people in broad daylight. And they finally act the day before he's to testify. So the, so the American people can see a little bit more about what he did with his money or what he didn't do. They have a special interest, these two outfits, these two groups that quietly spent money. It says, in 16 states with a particular focus on Arizona, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And you read deeper into the article and it talks about how that they, they, they funded some of the races that went toward the Supreme Court. I guess the, the Supreme Court officials in Arizona that, to retain their seat. They're appointed by the governor, but then to hold on to it, they've got to have some sort of an election. And for some reason, these two groups that are quietly sending in dark money to help Democrat causes, they're really interested in getting the judges in there that they need as well. What an operation. Listen again. This is one final clip from the Donald Trump attorney, Christina Bob, clip nine. I thought the hearing today uh, went pretty well. The judge laid out a very quick timeline in accordance with the statute that Carrie Lake filed her case under. Uh, so we will hear some type of oral argument, probably a motion to dismiss on the 19th, and then we'll get straight into the evidentiary hearing on the 21st and 22nd. And I mean, Carrie's got them dead to rights, as you mentioned. They've got the experts saying that this was all done intentionally with the malfunctions of the machines. They've got whistleblowers saying that there's over about 300,000 ballots that were illegally cast one way or another. And then you've got uh, co-mingling that we talked about of 25,000 this morning and then um, another 125,000 out there. I mean, there's 
so much evidence in this. She has got them dead to rights. She's got the law on the side. She's got uh, the facts on her side. I think the judge is going to have a lot of pressure to come to the right conclusion, which is this election is uncertifiable. Maricopa County did such a bad job and probably maliciously, intentionally did a bad job. And that's a lot of weight on one individual to come to that conclusion. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that the judge has the backbone to honestly examine the facts that appeared that way today in the hearing. And we will see, as I said before, ultimately, I think this will go up to the Arizona State Supreme Court. She's got the law. Carrie Lake does. She's got the law on her side. She's got facts on her side. But the thing of it is, the law needs to be enforced. So there's Christina Bob saying it's probably going to move right up to the Arizona Supreme Court uh, soon after what happens next week. Next week. This is uh, featured at American Thinker this morning. It says here, multiple polls conclude that upwards of 70% of Americans think our elections are filled with fraud. But we're learning it's deeper and more organized than just a few thousand mules dropping fake ballots into election boxes. That's part of the story, too. But there's so much more now. And the corruption's being exposed. That's the point of this piece. The corruption involves both political parties. Big tech manipulates search engine results and takes down dangerous websites, quote unquote, with Elon Musk's revelations. We now see that our own FBI is working actively with Twitter to censor conservatives and silence dissenting speech. It's next to certain that Twitter wasn't the only social media giant doing this. Anyone who floats the idea that the Republican red wave disappeared because of poor GOP tactics or inadequate candidates is either stupid or part of the conspiracy. In fact, it's an excellent rhino detector. He's right. He's right. Look at all the people that so quickly lined up to say, Trump, Trump did it. Another loss for Trump. Uh, yeah, Trump was supporting that individual. That's why we lost. That's a rhino right there. It's a good rhino detector. As I said, right after the midterms, we should have saw it coming. It's so obvious. Once, once they didn't get as big of a wave as they were hoping for or, or as they were predicting, the prediction might have even been part of this this strategy to dump Trump. As soon as that didn't happen, they all said in, in unison with Joe Scarborough, it's Trump. Trump's the problem. Says any conservative news organization that is not focusing 100% on the corruption that has been unearthed in Maricopa County is complicit. They're complicit in this. The, the facts, the law, it's on Carrie Lake's side. But they won't report it. They won't talk about it. You, you, you don't see anything, even in conservative media, about this lawsuit filed last Friday. It says here, the left and their rhino allies, along with who knows how many other corporate and foreign actors, have set up the most complicated electoral fraud system in history. It's just like Joe Biden said before the election in 2020. We've put together the most extensive voter fraud organization in history. He was right. That's, uh, that's one time he was absolutely right. And as this guy brings out, it's, it's just complicated enough 
This is the depths of Satan we're talking about here. It's just complicated enough for, for most people that don't want to dig into the facts, that don't want to read an entire news story, to say, well, let's just forget about it and move on. Maybe Ron DeSantis will deliver us to victory. It says every step of the voting process, from who is allowed to vote, how they vote, how the votes are tallied, to how the results are reported is compromised. He's right. You mean the Associated Press, the left-wing Associated Press, is largely responsible, responsible for deciding who wins these races and when they win? Even when with some states, you know, you've got 85% of the vote in. Now we got to wait. It's that all the votes haven't been counted. Over here, 70% report. Yeah, we know who won. Yeah, everything, everything. How does the, the AP know that? It's kind of like a Google algorithm or, or how the Twitter police operate. What really goes on behind the scenes? And then when you begin to find out what happens behind the scenes, suddenly, NBC, ABC, CNN, they go silent. They, they don't report it. They're not interested in the internal discussions and deliberations of Twitter, one of the biggest social media platforms in the world. Suddenly, they're not interested. It says every part of this process is compromised. They are so far into their corruption that being exposed is not an option. They'll do literally anything to avoid being caught. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that. They'll do anything. Another piece, this is at American Greatness, David Galertner. He says this about DeSantis. You want to dump Trump and, and embrace DeSantis? Well, he's not going to win in 2024 either. No Republican is unless voter fraud is addressed first. You know, really, that's what we were saying following the election steal of 2020. And this is why Donald Trump's completely right to stay with this like a bulldog, to not let it go. This is why Carrie Lake is right. How does anyone win going forward? Oh, there will be, there's going to be a few rhino victories here or there. I mean, they don't want to make it just 100% across the board Democrat so that it's so obvious. But they're going to keep out the election deniers like Carrie Lake, like uh, Donald Trump, and like some of the candidates he has supported. He says that means voting in person on Election Day and with a valid picture ID, not voting by mail over the course of a month. If we don't fix that, and we're not fixing it, it does not matter who the candidate is, Trump, DeSantis, or any other Republican, none of them have a chance. It has nothing to do with who they are. This is what Mitch McConnell and others should be crying aloud about, but they won't. They won't. You can see why. I mean, this just comes back to what we've been saying continually. Only God only God can save America temporarily. It's not going to last for very long, but only God could intervene to temporarily fix this. Because look, the corruption's all over the place. It's no matter what story I bring to lead with the program every day. It's it's the same theme in so many ways. The filth, the sickness, it is being exposed. It says if voter fraud is addressed, Trump will win in 2024. If there was no voter fraud, In 2020, he would have won. 
He's on a winning streak. As far as law and facts go, he's, he's on a winning streak. Everything he touches turns to gold politically. So it shows how strong those false narratives are. It says, and he'll make an even better president the second time around. Well, this is his commentary. But later on, he says, if we don't address voter fraud, it doesn't matter who the candidate is because democracy in America won't exist and your vote won't matter, just as it hasn't mattered for two years. How did we get from a prosperous nation and global peace to where we are now? It wasn't just COVID. It was you and it was me. Our government denied us the most important right we have. They stole our votes. And we said, okay, I guess it must have been something we did. That's over at American Greatness, David Galertner. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily if you'd like to email the show with some feedback, feel free to send us a note, td at thetrumpet.com. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. Every particle of human suffering, unhappiness, misery, and death has come solely from the transgression of God's immutable law. Obedience to God's law liberates us from all unhappiness, pain, and suffering. It frees us from captivity, from spiritual slavery. Obeying God's commandments guarantees a life overflowing with joyful abundance. For much more on this subject, request a free copy of The Ten Commandments. When you make your request, don't forget to enroll in the Armstrong College Bible Correspondence Course. This 36-lesson course is a distance learning program that will help you to get to know your Bible. Each month, you will receive a lesson that guides you in discovering the answers to life's most important questions, all from your own Bible. Your enrollment has already been paid for. Enroll today. Email your request to td at kpcg.fm or visit thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. Yesterday we talked about the importance of uh, edifying speech. I took you through some verses in 1 Corinthians 9 um, where Paul said, I try to be all things to all people. He really did try to see it from the other guy's perspective. And he mingled with as many different kinds of people and races of people as probably any minister in God's church ever has. And the way that he went from one place to the next, whether it was in Damascus or Jerusalem or Troas or over, over uh, in Philippi, around what would be the, the northern part of Greece today, or Corinth or Rome, Roman authorities, Greek-speaking people, Latin-speaking, Hebrew-speaking. He really was all things to all people. That's 1 Corinthians 9. He continues in chapter 10. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever it is you're doing, your whole orientation and motivation is to, to be godly. Paul was able to interact with so many different types of people and to do it in a godly way because God was in him. I hope to talk about this more on tomorrow's show, and Friday perhaps, Christ in you, 
Paul talked about that over and over and over in his letters. He said in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, I knew a man in Christ. He was talking about himself there in the third person. But this is why he was so, he was so great with just any person he came into contact with. Because God filled his life. Verse 32, it says, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. See, we're all in this together. And okay, we might come into the church from all these differing backgrounds. But once you come into the body of Christ, once you're converted to the truth, that makes one a, a spiritual Jew. And then we're all Jews, spiritually speaking. And we're unified by the Spirit of God. And we're unified in Christ, who's the head of the body. Verse 33, it says, Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Paul really did try to please. He, he didn't compromise, like I said yesterday, but he really did try to please every man and to not offend anyone. He was that good in interacting with people, in using speech to edify and to upbuild. Notice Colossians 3, as I say, this doesn't mean that Paul was just a people pleaser and just trying to win favor from everyone like a good politician today, or at least from his side, I suppose. Most politicians aren't really trying to win favor from the whole country. Not anymore. That's a thing of the past. Now, I mean, the loyalty is to the party. The party is what matters. That's it. Colossians 3, verse 8, it says, But now you also put off these, all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Put this away, he says. Even filthy communication is listed among wrath and malice and blasphemy. It says, Lie not one to another seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. See, even in the church, Paul was dealing with people that were lying and, and were dishonest. And that's because the pulls of the flesh are so strong, and that heart is so deceitful. That's why we need the divine nature, as Peter said. We need the divine character of God. We need Christ in us. Verse 10 says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. We have to put on that new man. We have to put on Christ. We have to let in Christ. We're crucified with Christ, and we live with Christ, as Paul said in Galatians 2. And, and it says, too, be renewed in this knowledge daily. You can look at 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16 where it also speaks of that daily renewal, how the outward man perishes, but the inner man is renewed day by day by day through prayer, through study, through contact with God, through contact with God's family. Verse 11, it says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. See, Paul says it doesn't matter if you're Greek, Jew, or a barbarian. God will, God will work with a barbarian if there's repentance. 
if there's a sincerity and a genuineness in that repentant way of life, God can convert anyone to being a spiritual Jew. He's soon going to convert the whole world. This will be after Jesus returns to this earth. What a time that will be when knowledge will just fill the earth. Isaiah 11 and verse 9, just going to cover the earth. And people daily are going to be filling up on that knowledge. And just think about how interactions and conversations, everything, is going to be different. Paul even said, I forget which letter it was, but he said at the end of one letter, salute one another in Christ. Salute. That just means, you know, uh, greet, greet each other in Christ. I mean, bring Christ even into your, your greetings. Imagine when that's going on all over the world. What a different world that will be from the one we see today with all the coarse language, just the, the, what, the cruel way that people deal with one another, the way the mob just goes after someone to assassinate their character, to destroy lives. The way even government officials will do that, deep in the DHS, FBI, DOJ. Yeah, they don't even, it doesn't even make them blink hardly. Just destroy, Mike Flynn, destroy him. Jim Comey, I went over there because, uh, you know, they were just setting, the, setting up shop. I caught him off guard. And then everyone has a good laugh. Yeah, it's fun to destroy lives. It's, it's fun to destroy a career and then go after someone and try to destroy everything. We see those things happening all the time. It's not going to continue for much longer. Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth to set up God's family government, to fill the earth with knowledge from God. Verse 12, it says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Let me follow the example of Jesus Christ. Learn to put up with one another. That's what forbearing one another means. And again, none of this suggests that we just turn a blind eye to, to sin. But learn to forgive the way that Jesus does when we repent. When we repent toward God. When the goodness of God leads us to repentance, as Romans 2.4 says, then God is quick to forgive and to extend mercy. This is from an article, an old article, 1975, in, uh, I believe, the Good News. It says, probably all of us have been insulted from time to time. We may have been threatened, falsely accused, or openly slandered by outside friends and relatives. Possibly even some members in our own respective congregations have expressed dislike toward us due to personality difference. I mean, it's happened to all of us. It says here, regardless of its source, the best way to counter friction and to win the good favor of men is to do as Christ did and commended. Love your enemies, Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. It says finally, or to follow the approach of Abraham Lincoln, as he expressed it, malice toward none, love toward all, or charity toward all. In other words, use love 
as it says at the end of Romans 12, I think it's Romans 12, 21, to overcome evil with the good. You know, use love. Use the love of God as a weapon. Malice toward none and charity toward all. Now, we don't want some kind of Protestant-like syrupy love where it's just all words and no deeds. It's got to be of substance. And it will be if it's in Christ, if it's of God. Now, the church of God obviously has to stand firm against an onslaught of persecution that's coming by the end of it all. And we're going to have to stand up for God and God's truth, and the world's going to know us. They're going to identify us, it says in John 13, because of our love for one another, because of how much we love the family of God, because of how much we put the family of God first. Verse 14, it says here, And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of per- perfectness. That The Greek word for charity there is agape love. Above all things, put on love. God is love, it says in 1 John 4. And so put that on. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, And now abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest is God's love. A couple more verses here before we conclude. This is in uh, Galatians uh, 3. Galatians 3, and we'll start in verse 26. It says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. There it is again. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ. You're immersed into his body. 1 Corinthians 12 brings this out. And then we go on and live unto God. How? Well, by Jesus Christ dwelling in you. At this time of year, with all these pagan holidays, I mean, you either hear about the baby in a manger, which really exalts the mother above Jesus himself, or you hear about the slain Christ, the crucified Christ. But there's nothing much about the living Christ. What's he been doing for 2,000 years? He was resurrected from the dead. Okay, he's at the right hand of God. So what is his office? What is his position? What is he doing? Well, you have all these references throughout Paul's writings and the whole Bible, the New Testament, the the references to living in Christ. Christ living again in you and me, just like he did during that earthly ministry. Well, we have more we could get into. We'll save it for another time. You're listening to Stephen Flurry. This is The Trumpet Daily. Don't forget the email address, td at the trumpet.com. We thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow.